you have your scriptures with you, would you please open with me to Psalm 42? Psalm 42. If you don't have to have your Bibles with me, please follow along with the overhead. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs His love. At night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones have suffered mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. May the Lord add blessings upon the reading of His Word. What do you fight for? Do you fight to keep your job? Do you fight with your spouse if they steal the blankets in the middle of the night? Do you fight with your kids over who gets the last chocolate chip cookie? Do you fight to keep your health and youthful appearance as you notice those little gray hairs in the mirror each morning? Do you fight against injustice and poverty? Do you fight about politics? Do you fight about who has, what country has the best cricket team or football team? Now, there are lots of things for us to fight about. But what's really worth fighting for? What about joy? Are you committed this morning to fighting for joy? The Bible says that fighting for joy and happiness in Christ ought to be our priority. But the Bible says that fighting for joy is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. And today's psalm is no different as we see the psalmist fight for joy. So the question we're going to answer this morning from Psalm 42 is how do we fight for joy? So if you haven't turned there already, I invite you uh, to flip in your Bibles to Psalm 42, which Raul just read for us. It's halfway through your Bibles in a section uh, of poetry. Now the Psalms are filled with beautiful songs and poems and laments. 
And in our psalm this morning, we're going to see three things as we look to fight for joy. One, we're going to see the psalmist's predicament. Two, the psalmist's solution. And then three, our imitation. So the psalmist's predicament, psalmist's solution, and then our imitation. Well, first, let's look at the psalmist's predicament. Let's, let's look at what's happening in the psalm itself. And if you look, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see at the top of the header for Psalm 42, you'll notice a couple of things that we don't want to just skip over. One, you'll see that it's written by one of the sons of Korah. Now, these sons were a group of priests who were charged with the ministry of singing and writing. You might also see there that uh, the word, Hebrew word maskil, which is a part of the original manuscripts and probably, probably means to instruct. So what we have here is a song that was to be sung and it was meant to give instruction to God's people. But first, it's important to know the psalmist's predicament. So a quick reading of the psalm, as we just did, kind of tells us that and the psalmist is not doing real well, is he? He's not doing well at all. He's lacking joy. That's his problem. He's lacking joy, and there's several reasons for it in the text. One, we see that he's alone. Verse 4 says, I used to go with the multitude. I used to go to the house of God, but now I can't. He wants so badly to be with God's people. Verse 6 tells us that he's a temple singer. And temple singers were meant to be in the temple in Jerusalem, singing praises to God. But for some reason we see that this singer is alone all by himself in the Jordan. And it's painful for him. This gives us a little more insight into what verse 1 means. As the deer pants for streams of water. Have you, have you wondered exactly what that means? He says, I'm like a deer who so badly wants to drink. It's interesting. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word here is actually a doe. It means a female deer. So the pictures of here of a female deer who's frightened to go to the water because another animal is there waiting to attack. By the way, it's interesting that the male deer actually hides back in the woods, actually sends the female to go check to see if the water is safe. Great leadership, isn't that? <laughs> Men, don't try that at home. <laughs> so the female deer goes down. So what the psalmist is saying here is he's like a female deer who is trying to go to the water, who's thirsty but can't make it down there. Because there's an enemy prowling, waiting to take her out. So in the same sense, something was keeping the psalmist away from getting back to Jerusalem. He wanted so badly to praise God with God's people, but he comes up dry. Incidentally, this is why Every Friday morning, it's a joy to gather together as a church. So we, we don't just say that just to say it, but it really is a joy. I mean, we have people from all around the world in unreached remote places that when they come here on Friday with us visiting, they are unbelievably encouraged that we even get to do this here. You see, the psalmist is, is alone and he's in utter turmoil because he can't be with God's people. 
He can't get to the water. Ironically, in verse 3, the speaker's only drink has been his tears. He's alone. Well, secondly, we see that the psalmist is taunted. He's taunted. You see how the speaker changes in verse 3? It's the voice of his enemies. And they're saying to him, Where is your God? And it wasn't just a one-time harassment. It was time and time again. Where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? This taunt certainly implies that he was in a precarious situation, alone, hurting, suffering. It appeared to his enemies that he had been abandoned by God. So he's being taunted. And lastly, we see that he's depressed. Verse 10 says, My bones suffer mortal agony. This could imply physical pain, but typically in the Psalms, we see that deep, hard, physical pain usually is indicative of emotional anguish, inner turmoil. Verses 5 and 11 say he's cast down, he's in turmoil. And then verse 7 says he feels like he's drowning. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. And the picture here is overwhelming. His footing is gone and wave after wave is just smashing on top of him. He's being submerged under the water and he's almost drowning with just enough to get air. Every moment of every day, that's what he's feeling like. Feeling like he's on the edge of painful death. It's the same language we see in the book of Jonah as Jonah is tossed into the sea in the midst of the storm. It's a helpless feeling. Nothing you could do to save yourself. And then in verse 9, showing the extent of his despair. This is a man, remember, who's a temple singer. But he says here in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now he knows this isn't true, right? Because if you flip back just a verse before that, in verse 8, he says that the Lord's steadfast love is with him. But he doesn't feel, doesn't feel the love. His circumstances are so difficult that it appears to him as if God is not there. He's lonely, missing home, missing other believers. Taunting is intense, and he's suffering from depression and sadness. And it looks like God is not there. It's a terrible situation, terrible difficulty. Though I think he is suffering in ways that each of us deal with on a regular basis, don't we? Loneliness, adversity, discouragement. Is this you this morning? As you look at your life, are you lonely? Are you facing opposition? Are you depressed? Are you discouraged? Does it feel like God has left you? And you're asking, God, are you even there? 
Or maybe it's not that bad. Maybe you don't feel like you're drowning. But how's your heart today? Would the people around you say that you're filled with joy? How about your spouse? Would they say you're a joyful person? How about your friends? Or maybe you're just okay. Maybe you're doing fine, you're getting by, but you're not enjoying life. Perhaps we're all struggling in some way. Please know that it's okay. It's okay to be hurting. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to to feel alone. But it's imperative that we know how to respond in those situations. What do you do when you're lonely, when you're discouraged, when you're in opposition? Well, how does the psalmist respond in his predicament? What does he do? As the word masculine suggests, this psalm is filled with instruction for us. So let's look at the second point, the psalmist's solution. He does several things in the psalm. We won't go into all of them. He certainly sings. He confesses. But I think the main thing that we see in the psalm, and it's repeated twice, is that the psalmist preaches to himself. I think this is one of the most important lessons that we can learn in the Christian life. Look at verse 5. Look at him now. It's the psalmist talking, not to his enemies, not to his friends, but to his own soul. Look at that. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he repeats the exact same phrasing in verse 11. In all this, he's fighting for hope. This is crucial for us to learn. We have to do this. So I want to read to you something that Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Psalm 42. Listen to this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 is this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Let me explain what he means here by this. If you're anything like me, you do this often. I have the terrible habit of going to bed, just beginning to just worry what's going on in my life. Do you do that? Or you wake up in the morning and as soon as your alarm wakes you up, start thinking about the difficulty of the day. Start thinking about what's hard in your life. Start thinking discouraging thoughts at times. Rehearsing conversations you need to have. Getting worked up at the future. And the more this continues, the more anxious I become. And it becomes a vicious cycle. The question is, how do we stop that cycle? And that's what Martin Lloyd-Jones is telling us. That's what the psalmist is telling us. He's instructing us here to fight for joy. Don't be defeated by depression. 
And his solution is to be proactive, to talk to himself. You see the difference? It's stepping up and going on the offense. It's a beautiful picture here of a man suffering but struggling well. Not giving in to defeat. So that's what I want to spend our time talking about is that third point. How do we do this? How do we preach to ourselves? So our third point, our imitation. I want to spend the majority of our time talking about how do we imitate the psalmist. John Stott has said, The cure for depression is neither to look in at our grief, nor back to our past, nor round to our problems, but away and up to the living God. So I want to give us several ways to do that. One is that we need a plan to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need a plan to preach to ourselves. Now, perhaps this is your first time with us at Redeemer. We are thrilled that you're here. We hope that you keep coming, but perhaps you don't know the gospel. You don't know what it is we're talking about. Well, the gospel is that God is a holy God. He's the creator God who created the whole world, including you and me. And he created us in his image. And yet from the very beginning of time, we see Adam and Eve sin. And each and every one of us has followed suit. We have rebelled against God. We have rejected God and gone our own way. And because of that, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. That we deserve separation and punishment from God. So here's the, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived the perfect life, and then took upon himself the punishment that you and I deserved when he went to the cross, when he faced the wrath of God, and in conquering death, he rose from the dead. That's the good news. And the Bible says that we can experience the fullness of the gospel if we would repent of our sins and believe in Christ. Repentance and belief. There's no action. There's no raising of the hand, walking down the aisle. There's no sacrament. It's merely belief. So if you've never done that today, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, I encourage you to believe unto him today. It's the good news, the gospel. But it's not just the message that saves us. It's the message that transforms our lives every day. So we need to talk to ourselves about the good news. It's what I like to call gospel rehearsal. So when you think of rehearsal, most likely you think of a theater rehearsal, a theater performance. You know, you probably think of actors and actresses singing and practicing their lines, practice after practice. And yet even when they learn their lines, even when they have them down perfectly, they keep practicing, don't they? Even after the show has started, they rehearse the lines in their minds. They get a partner and they, they practice. They get better. But it's not like their lines change. It's not like their production changes. You don't move on from those lines to new lines to more profound lines. You just get better at doing what you already know. And it takes practice. And it takes practice to keep the lines fresh in your mind as well. It's the same as gospel rehearsal. It's the same message. It's the same profound truth There's not another 
message that we move on to. We keep rehearsing the best message in the world. Spiritual maturity doesn't happen when we leave the gospel behind us and move to something new. If you've been around Max Stiles long enough, he, he always likes to say that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to the Z of the Christian life. It's not what gets us saved alone, but it's the fuel for our everyday life. And yet how easily we, we forget it. That's the problem in the Christian life. Instead, we struggle with our circumstances and our ever-changing feelings. Sure, maybe we're saved, but what has, what, what has the gospel done for us today? And what we've done is we've created a gospel gap. Here's what I mean by that. It's what Paul Tripp calls the then-now-then gospel the Christian church has typically done the two thens well. The, the then of the gospel is that we have been saved from our sins. It's that Christ has died for us and we are now saved. We are secure in our salvation. And the church has typically done well the other then of the gospel. The fact that one day when Christ comes back or we pass away, we will be with Jesus face to face for all of eternity. So the church has typically done the two thens of the gospel well. But where the church has often failed is with that now of the gospel. That's the, the gap that's often there in a Christian's life. See, what the psalmist is saying to himself here is he needs the hope of God right now. And he starts preaching that message to himself. So it would be helpful for us as Christians to do the same, to begin each day by reminding ourselves that we are a sinner saved by grace, that there's benefits to the gospel. The gospel gives us strength even today. It'd be helpful for you to talk to yourself, maybe not out loud in public. And if you do, you can wear a Bluetooth piece so no one laughs at you. But, but it really, just in the confines of your own home, in your private dwelling, you might begin each day by saying things like, Self, if God is for you, who can be against you? Self, who will separate you from the love of Christ? Self, as far as the east is to the west, so far does he remove your transgressions. Self, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And self, there is coming a day when Christ will be with us and he will wipe away every tear. He will heal all your pains. Crying will cease and you will be face to face with me. Those are just a few, few, few verses that I cling to on a regular basis. I encourage you to find some gospel verses in the Bible to remind yourself about what God has done for you and ask him to transform your life to live consistently with these truths. And make sure to stop. UAE is a busy place. So I encourage you in the midst of your life to stop, to take time to dwell on the riches of the gospel. 
Let it take residence in your heart and transform you. I think this rehearsing of the gospel is perhaps the most important daily habit that you can do. Lest we forget what God has done. Well, two, we also need to apply the gospel to all areas of our lives. Apply the gospel to all areas of our lives. Because the truth of it changes everything. So, as a husband, because Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, it means that we do the same for our wives. And because Christ has forgiven our sin on the cross, it means that we're now free to forgive all those around us who've hurt us or rejected us. The gospel transforms our parenting as well. As a parent, you shepherd and care for your kids with intentionality and patience and discipline because God is a loving Father who cares for each of us with perfect love. The gospel transforms our counseling. It's not that we counsel people with feel-good tips on how to live, live a nice life, but with a reminder that we can have joy because one has suffered immense agony to give us everything. And we can have integrity in school because we care more about what God thinks about us than what our friends think about us. See, the gospel changes everything. Well, thirdly, we need to apply the gospel to all circumstances. It'll be helpful for you to point yourself to the gospel in every particular instance. One of my seminary professors told us to look at life this way. He said, in every difficulty and distress in this world... It's but a taste of the hell that as a believer you will never face. Every delight in life is but a small picture or taste of what our eternity in heaven will be like. What he's saying is that in all your tough circumstances, whether it's work or school or health, Remember, in those instances of suffering, remember that it is but a shadow of the eternal damnation that as a believer you will never face. And in every victory, every moment of delight, your wedding day, quality time together as a family, Friday mornings here at Redeemer, Let that remind us that that's but a glimpse, that's but a shadow of what eternity with God will be like for us as believers. See how we do that? Every instance points us to Christ. Allow everything in your life to be grounded in gospel truth. Well, the fourth thing we can do is we need a daily intake of God's word. We need a daily intake of God's Word, and we want to help you with that today. If you want to uh, open up your bulletins, there's several things that I would like to point out to you this morning, several things that have helped me in my devotional life. First thing, if you want to pull out the white bookmark-looking document there, it's a daily Bible reading plan that was developed by a Scottish Presbyterian, Robert Murray McShane. 
It breaks down the readings per day, gives you some Old Testament readings and New Testament readings, gives you four or five chapters a day uh, to read. One thing you can do is you can do all the readings or you can just do two of the readings. Uh, Lately, I've been doing two of the readings and going a little bit slower and meditating more on the text. Uh, It goes through 12 months of uh, of the year. It also divides up the readings in family and secret. The family readings are meant to read devotionally uh, with your uh, family, with your kids. Um, You can do that or you can choose not to. But I would encourage you in some way to make it a habit to read God's Word. And at first it'll seem like it's duty, but I encourage you, if you do it regularly, the duty will turn into delight. So read, make little deposits. Even if you can only spend 15, 20 20 minutes a day uh, before you go to work or set off for your day, uh, know that those little deposits... Uh, will turn into 100, 200 hours during the year that you're pouring over God's word. But don't just do it to check off a box. I know it could get easy for some of us achievers just to scratch, scratch off what we've read. Surely even the Pharisees went through the whole of scriptures many times. But how many times did the scriptures go through them and into their souls? So take your time. Take your time in God's word, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, gaze on the Lord's glory as you read. Now the word gaze there means to look deeply into a mirror. Now if you were to turn to the person next to you and look at them like you look at yourself in the mirror, they'd probably laugh or slug you. Because when you're looking in the mirror, what do you do? You're looking really intently at every wrinkle, every gray hair. Every piece of dandruff, if you have it. (laughs) You're looking and you're staring and you're glaring. Well, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. It's that we are to gaze deeply. We are to gaze intently at God's word. So take your time in your Bible. One other thing you could do is if you find the sermon card in your bulletin, we've laid out all the sermons that we're going to be preaching through the end of the year. This is done so that you can be in prayer for our services. And it's, to be, it's out here for you so you can be inviting friends intentionally. And maybe even most of all so that you can be prayerfully reading the scripture before you come on Friday morning. I know some families that read together on Thursday night and talk about it. Uh, but I would encourage you to, to come prepared ahead of time uh, each day. So you can look at that. You can see we're spending these three weeks on the gospel uh, then Mac will take us through Paul's charge uh, as an ambassador on our first service uh, as when we go to two services. And then we'll go through Isaiah, uh, which points to Jesus. And then we'll look at Mark's uh, gospel. So take that with you. Maybe put that in your Bible along with the Murray McShane uh, reading plan. And I'd also want to uh, give you some practical helps, too, uh, with some devotional books that have been encouraging uh, to me. One is uh, Don Carson's two-volume, For the Love of God. We have a whole bunch in our bookstall back there. And today we have a special bookstall, if you haven't gone by, with devotional materials that will point you to Jesus. So the Carson volumes go along with uh, the Murray McShane reading for the day. So you might want to check that out. A couple other things. One... Is a book called Comforts from the Cross by Elise Fitzpatrick. Uh, it's 31-day devotional where she points you each day uh, to the truths from the cross. It's, it's pure gospel gold. I'd encourage you to check that out. Uh, we have Spurgeon's uh, Morning and Evening, uh, which also takes you to a devotional each day. 
And then finally, there's two books that I want to recommend more than any other that tell us uh, the depth uh, of God in the gospel. Uh, one is Max Stiles' book, Marks of the Messenger. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book on explaining the gospel. Uh, it's one of the best treatments I've read. Uh, in particular, the first half of the book just does a marvelous job in explaining what the gospel is and then how not to assume it in your life. So I encourage you to pick that up today, uh, as well as one last book uh, called The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney. Uh, if you've never read this, I encourage you to get it as well. It'll encourage you how to build your whole day around the gospel with some practical solutions. So I encourage everyone to pick up one or more of these books. I think Sam's got a 20% discount on these. So please get some good uh, related material that will help you preach the gospel uh, to yourself this year. And finally, uh, let's help one another by preaching the gospel to each other. Let's help each other by preaching the gospel to one another. Now, I need you to do this for me, even as your pastor, because it's so easy for me to forget. I mean, I sit in my office and I stare at 1,000 theological books every day. I have a whole shelf full of Bibles. I get devotionals emailed to my computer. And yet, my temptation is for me each day to forget the gospel. And even if I remember, I am inclined to resist and to rebel. So I need you to tell me. I, ex I experienced this uh, in a real way uh, four months ago on the day of my first surgery uh, here in Dubai. Many of you remember that God had orchestrated some amazing plans to uh, get Gloria and I connected with some of the top neurosurgeons in the world. And over the course of four days, God worked together the approval of our insurance. And he got us a spot in the hospital and a spot uh, to be operated by these doctors. So we were thrilled. We were excited. We get to the hospital, uh, get hooked up to an IV, and we sat there for about 10 hours waiting for surgery. And finally, I get rolled down to the operating room, and I waited for about another hour, only to find out that the surgery was canceled. And we, we were devastated. So we had suffered for years, five years, with severe nerve pain, finally to get this opportunity for healing, and we were right there. And it was not just a simple cancellation. The doctors flew back to the U.S. that night. So I was sitting there, and I remember just being devastated. Uh, and not only that, but they left me. I think they forgot about me down by the operating room. Everybody left, and for 90 minutes, I just sat there with my IV dripping all alone. And I laugh now, but in the moment... In the moment, I was devastated, realizing that it was canceled and realizing that the hope that I had in healing at that moment had, had failed. And I so badly in that moment just wanted to get up. I started yelling. No one came. Finally, they brought me up and I got reunited with other believers, with my wife. And what I needed at that point certainly was a hug, but not simply a hug. What I needed to be reminded of is what Jesus had done for me. And so first Gloria in the hospital room and then Lenny on the way to the car that night, they reminded me that my hope was not in my health, but that my hope was in Jesus, that he is sufficient, that he is sovereign over doctor's schedules and surgery cancellations, 
that Jesus plus nothing really is everything. I mean, I had just preached that a few weeks before, but right there in the hospital, Jesus was as far from my mind as I could get. So I needed help. I needed you to tell me. I needed to, to have a vision of what Christ has done and to meditate on that. I needed to be reminded that the one great permanent circumstance in our lives is the gospel. Our circumstances and feelings may change, but God remains the same. So let's help each other see the gospel this next year. And we can do that informally, but we can also do that formally. So there's a couple ways we can do that formally. One is to join a small group. You'll see a big card in your bulletin this week uh, showing all the small groups that we have going around uh, Dubai, Sharjah, and in the Northern Emirates. I encourage you uh, to get involved in one. These communities uh, might better be called gospel communities because we rally around that truth together. Uh, We'll be studying the sermon text ahead of time uh, from what will be preached on Friday. We'll be praying together and seeking ways to proclaim Christ here in the UAE. So I would join one if you're new to the church and you don't know anyone. I encourage you to, uh, to email or call uh, the leaders who are on this list. Or talk to Glenn Jones, who leads our music. He also directs our small groups and would love to talk to you uh, about getting involved uh, in a community uh, this next year. And a couple of other ways would be to join our ladies' Bible studies uh, on Wednesdays. Uh, Starting on October the 6th, we'll have one at 10 a.m. and then one at 7 p.m. in Murdoff, where ladies will come rally around the scripture in the Bible and encourage each other in the gospel on a weekly basis. And for the men, on October the 8th, we'll be starting up uh, a monthly meeting on Saturdays to talk about theology and the church and life. So get involved in, in a formal gospel rehearsal here at Redeemer. So you can see there's lots of ways to do it, whether it's individually, informally, or whether it's in formal church ministry. So I want to encourage us to do that. And I know, I know it's not January 1st, but in many ways, this is a lot closer to a new year for us, isn't it? Schools are starting, holidays are over, Ramadan has ended. And so I want to leave you really with one, one final charge uh, as we move into this new year. And I want to tell you about a, about a story from a few years ago. It was a life-changing conversation that Gloria and I had uh, with some new friends. We were driving up the east coast of the United States going to visit uh, some Christian ministry leaders of a large Christian organization. We were excited to meet with them. We went out to lunch. And at lunch, I, I asked what I thought was a simple question. I asked this couple What is a successful minister in your organization? What's a successful employee in your company? And they kind of paused for a minute and looked at each other. And in a real pastoral tone, almost with a tear in his eye, he said that a successful worker in his company is one who loves the Lord more when they leave his company than when they started. It's one who loves the Lord more when they leave the ministry than when they first came. He 
he went on to say that success in our company is not how much fruit you see in ministry. It's not how big your church gets. It's not how long you stay with us or how many friends you make or how much success it looks like to the world you have. No, none of that is our measure of success. Our measure of success is if you love God more when you leave the company than when you started. And so I want to give you that same charge this year. That my goal and prayer for you as your pastor is not that your job would be smooth. It's not that your family is going well. It's not that you're involved in so many ministries or you've gotten plugged into a small group. My prayer for you is that you would love Jesus more at the end of the year than you do right now. That you can say that you're loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That you'd be in obedience of that first commandment. Because you see, when we're in obedience of that first commandment, when we're loving God, see, all the other things come into place, right? Our job, our family, our marriages, our parenting, our joy. And the best way to be moving in this direction is to dwell in the gospel. It's to preach the gospel to yourself daily and to fight for joy. So I encourage you, make this your all-consuming passion this year. And even in sadness, even in discouragement, would we fight like the psalmist? Would we not give up? Would we preach to ourselves and help others along the way? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. He who died so that we might live. Thank you that we will spend eternity with you. Until then, Father, we ask that we would come into a deeper appreciation of the gospel, that we would preach it to ourselves, that we would live in it, dwell in it, that it would give us power and strength to live each day. Father God, this year would we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Father, would we not forget what you've done? Would there not be this gospel gap? Would we live in it? Would it transform our marriages? Would it transform our parenting, the way we work, the way we forgive each other? the way we come together even here and gather on Fridays, would it transform everything? And would we be reminded of the gospel in all of our circumstances, when we're depressed and sad, and when we experience great happiness and victory, would all of that remind us of what Jesus has done for us? And Father, would you do an unbelievably amazing work here at Redeemer this next year. And would each of us come to the end of the year next summer and say that we love you more then than we do today. We pray all these things in your son's precious, precious name. Amen.